Hi everybody and uh, great to be uh, joining you again, at least joining you by the wonders of modern um, technology. And uh, what I have to bring this morning is um, a passage from uh, Revelation. Uh, I'm going to read from uh, the book of Revelation uh, in chapter 12 and I'm starting at verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. And that's the key text this morning. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Let me uh, just give that as it, it comes in um, Eugene Peterson's The Message, where he says they defeated him through the blood of the Lamb and the bold word of their witness. They went in love with themselves. They were willing to die for Christ. Amen. So who is the they um, that, that is mentioned there? Well, the focus, um, the context is Christians during the tribulation period, that seven year tribulation period. So the, uh, uh, the focus, if you like, the context is eschatological, it's future things. And it's when a great persecution uh, comes on the earth, comes against Christians, and when, if you like, the devil is unleashed in even greater power. Uh, but it has a, a resonance for all believers, and that means for us too. Who is the him? Well, the passage again tells us the great dragon, the serpent of old, and then even more clearly, uh, the devil and Satan. The word devil is Greek for accuser. And the word Satan is the Hebrew for adversary. Now, I guess if we were to speak to our neighbours or maybe some of our friends, they might laugh at the idea of a personal devil and see it as some sort of uh, primitive medieval belief. But, you know, the Bible tells us very clearly that there is this evil being of great power and he is the adversary of the church and he's the accuser of Christians. Now we're not told very much about his origins but the Bible does give a few clues here and there that um, originally he was an angelic being, he was in heaven, uh, possibly the archangel uh, Lucifer and that there was a, a fall before there was a a fall on earth of mankind, there was a fall that took place in heaven. And um, the first meeting we have with him in scripture, of course, is in 
um, he's in the book of uh, Genesis and in the Garden of Eden, where we see that he is the architect of the fall of men and women. And sin enters in to humankind and through sin, death. And so that Satan is given a measure of authority uh, so that in the New Testament, he can be called the God of this world. But, you know, God had a plan. God is never taken by surprise, is he? And uh, we see that in Genesis 3.15, where it says the seed of the woman, that is Jesus, will bruise Satan's head. Yes, his heel will be bruised, but uh, Jesus will crush Satan's head. And that's the first inkling of, uh, after the bad news we've had, that is the first inkling of the good news of the gospel. Well, Satan tried to destroy Jesus right from the start. Uh, first of all, through Herod, when he was a child, uh, then later uh, in the wilderness, when he attempted to drive him away from God by temptation. But then on the cross, Jesus decisively defeated Satan. And that was the, the fulfillment of that prophecy. Uh, that's when Jesus um, crushed Satan's head. Satan had his head crushed. But, you know, Satan was down, um, but not out. Revelation 20, a few chapters um, forward, tells us about the final defeat of Satan, when it really will be all over. But he is still at work. And uh, the evidence of that is all around us. And people don't see it because it's an unseen world. It's a very real spiritual world, but it's unseen by physical eyes. But Satan is at work. And so that we see Satan right at the beginning of uh, human history in Genesis, and he's right there at the end in Revelation as well. And he is this great, powerful being. But he is not the equal of God. He doesn't have any of uh, those attributes that are applicable to God. He is not omniscient, uh, he's not omnipotent, and neither is he omnipresent. And therefore he relies on uh, this invisible network of uh, levels of authority, um, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, uh, spiritual wickedness in high places. And he comes and they come, we're told, only to steal and kill and destroy. And they are at war with the kingdom of God. And even as we look at the times we're going through now with the, uh, the uh, coronavirus, we don't know at the moment exactly how that started. But no doubt he is at the root of it and at the back of it. So uh, anyway, he is at war with the kingdom of God. And therefore, he's at war with you and with me. And he seeks to stop people coming in to salvation. The Bible says that he blinds the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see uh, the light of the gospel. And he targets you and me as Christians. And so Peter tells us that he's like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So you and me have got an enemy of our soul. But the Apostle Paul says, we are not ignorant 
of his devices. In other words, we know how and when he operates against us. Now, not everything that goes wrong in our lives can be attributed to the devil, but he does attack us and he can't affect our salvation. We're securing God in that way, but he can do other things. He can make us ineffective. Uh, he can sideline us. He can make us miserable. And uh, if, if, if uh, he can, he'll, he'll take us out of the, the game, as it were, out of the ministry. And he is the father of lies. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And he opposes the truth of God's word. And he brings persecution against the people of God, just as we saw in the passage in Revelation. And, uh, you know, the main battleground is the battleground for us of the mind, isn't it? The battleground is the, the, the mind. And so the enemy comes, he comes to accuse us in various ways, accuses regarding our past or our present. Uh, he he's the accuser of the brethren. And he's also the enticer. He's the one who brings uh, temptations to draw us away. And we see that we ministries where that has happened, where he's destroyed those ministries. And he seeks to make us anxious and fearful and depressed and hopeless. And you know that he knows our weaknesses and he goes for those weaknesses. You know, his attacks are tactical. He's very clever in the way that he attacks us, isn't he? He, he attacks us in a very tactical way. And that's why Paul calls for us to be wise against him. But the passage tells us that they overcame him. They overcame him and they had the victory in Jesus. And you know, you and me, we are overcomers. We have the victory in Jesus over the enemy. And that victory is based uh, fundamentally on what Jesus did. It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, the cross and the resurrection, our victory rests on that. The source of our victory is Jesus' death on the cross and then his resurrection. Jesus had the victory over Satan, over sin and over death. And we're told that he disarmed the principalities and powers. And he took upon himself, he gained all authority, all that authority that had been ceded by Adam to Satan. Christ regained all of that authority. And he sits now at the right hand of the Father. And when you and I become Christians, when we're saved, when we're regenerated in our spirits by God, his victory over Satan becomes our victory. And everything in our lives is changed. We've moved from darkness to light. That's why Paul can say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what that means is that now the devil has nothing to accuse us of. He's the great accuser, but he has nothing to accuse you and me of because our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. So Paul can say again, 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The blood of the Lamb has restored our relationship with God. So we have the victory. There's a sense in which we have the victory already. But then we have to enforce that victory in our lives and in this world in which we live. Well, you know, victory requires that there be a battle. There's no victory without a battle, is there? And, you know, the Christian life is a battle. The Christian life is a spiritual war. We are often in a battle. We're often in a struggle. But we're told these Christians in this period, in this tribulation period, overcame him, overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and also by the word of their testimony. You know, they lived their lives in the light of Jesus's victory. And that's what we are called to do through him. You know that the enemy will come to us in various ways. He'll come in persecution. He'll come with trials and with problems. But we can overcome him by our obedience to and our dependence on Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, in any battle or war, uh, we need weapons. There's a need for weapons, isn't there? And Paul tells us that uh, we, have, we have got spiritual weapons. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought as the enemy attacks our minds, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We have a very clear picture in Ephesians 6, again, Paul, of this spiritual war that you and I as Christians are engaged in against principalities, powers and rulers. And Paul uses the metaphor of the Roman soldier, which would have been very uh, familiar to them at that time. And he talks about the armor that that soldier puts on. And in the same way, we're to put our spiritual armor on um, in order to stand against the enemy. But he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. In other words, we're no match for Satan by ourselves. We have to be strong in him and in the strength of his might. And we have to put our armor on. We have to make a decision in our lives to put that armor on. It's a daily thing, isn't it? It's at our disposal, but we have to actually put it on. And so we're called to put on our belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. The word of God, the Bible, is the truth. We're told to put on our breastplate of righteousness, you know, living in the righteousness that Jesus has provided for us. We are the righteousness of God in him and keeping, sh keeping short accounts before God. When we do slip, when we do fall, we quickly come to him, we repent and we restore that relationship with him. And then putting on the shoes of the gospel of peace so that we 
walk in peace. We have peace of mind and we're bringing the gospel of peace to those around us. And we put up our shield of faith so that we're in the realm of not seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. So that we stand on the word of God and we act on it. And then putting on our helmet, the helmet of salvation, which is our, our great hope in him, our security in him, and our confidence in our relationship with him. And then using our, our sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the Bible, the word of God, you know, bringing the truth of the word against the lies of the enemy. And just like Jesus did in the wilderness, bringing that truth against the lie of the enemy. And then in amongst all of that, it says, be praying always, being in prayer, and then calling upon, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit, and praying for the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that, that is the, the Apostle Paul talking there in this letter to the Ephesians. And you know, Paul didn't only talk the talk, but he walked the walk, didn't he? If you look at the accounts of his life, uh, few have been attacked as he was. He tells us a little bit about it in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, and we read, in, of course, in, in other places as well. But in 2 Corinthians 11, he tells us, doesn't he, that uh, he was flogged maybe 40 times, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked three times, and he was in perils and near-death experiences on multiple occasions. He was in hunger, uh, he was thirsty, he was without sleep, he was imprisoned. He had a hard life, didn't he? But, you know, he was victorious over all those things. And he's able to say at the end of his life, I have finished the race. Paul was victorious because he knew the enemy's devices and he had his armor on so that he could stand against them. And we're told that with that armor, as we wear that armor, we can quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And that we can resist. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. And remembering, as we heard earlier, that greater is he that is in you. Greater is Jesus that, in, that is in us than he that is in the world. So that when we are attacked, we have our armor on, we can stand firm and we can overcome. And then it tells us that these Christians... They did not love their lives to the death. And many of them will die, of course, as martyrs, but they didn't love their lives. They were ready to give their lives for Jesus. They didn't fear death. But I guess, you know, for men and women, that the greatest fear is death. It's called the, the last enemy, the great enemy. And particularly this time we're living through at the moment, the uh, coronavirus. People are fearful, aren't they? There's a lot of fear. People are fearful of getting sick. People are fearful of death. And um, at a subconscious level, in every man and woman, um, there is that subconscious fear of death. And I guess that it's at the root of 
phobias and it's at the root of many anxieties of the mind that fear of death and you know our whole society is geared up isn't it we think of our nhs medical profession um our police force um you know that they, they are there for the protection of life which is you know all well and good and even at the moment you know we are socially distancing from people and we are locked down and it's all for the preservation protection of life which is of course good but you know with us as christians we have a radical new idea even understanding of death so paul says death has now lost its sting for the christian and we know that physical death releases us only into a new and glorious life in and with jesus so that for christians now the worst thing that can happen to us is actually the best thing paul says i am absent from the body but then present with the lord and these tribulation christians that we read of in revelation they were ready to die for jesus the first martyr that we read about uh, the first christian martyr of course is in in axis is stephen and stephen as he was being stoned um, you know he had a revelation of this didn't he he saw an open heaven and he saw jesus at the right hand of the father and he had no fear the uh, the only fear that he had was for um, the people who were stoning him and do you remember when the prophet agabus um met with paul and uh, he he said to paul in fact he uh, he took he took paul's belt and he bound his hands and his feet with that belt and uh, he said to paul look don't go to jerusalem because this is what's going to happen to you you're going to be bound and the people pleaded with him not to go but paul said look i'm ready not only to be bound in jerusalem but i'm ready to die for the gospel he said for me to live is christ but to get to die is gain i'm reminded of those coffee missionaries many years ago who were called out to these cannibalistic uh, tribes and uh, they knew that they were going to be killed uh, in, in at a future time and so that they packed their belongings not in a trunk but in a coffin which would be used at a later point see the wages of sin in adam is death but jesus at that first easter defeated uh, on, on the cross and by the resurrection defeated both sin and death so that we have the victory in him we live and we die in that victory that we have in him now you and i may not be called to a martyr's death but we are called to a martyr's life we're called to die to self and to live for Christ. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And you know, our life is not our own. It has been purchased at a great price. Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and so take up his cross and follow me. So the call of God, the continual call of God, is that we put our life on the altar for him. That we're not 
cold, we're not lukewarm, but we are sold out for him. You know, Jesus willingly gave his life for you and me. And he calls upon us, he calls upon us to devote our lives to him. Jesus himself said, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So we see that we have got an enemy of our souls. And we need to be aware of that, that he will come in various guises and forms, often come through other people. And, uh, and, and, and you, he will use them against us to bring us down. But the tribulation Christians, they overcame him. They overcame him in a time of extreme, the, the most extreme pressure. And we can overcome him in our, in our everyday lives when we're faced with battles. We can overcome him too, and we can live in victory. We can live in victory over sin, over satanic attack, and even over death. Yes, we have our battles and we, we may be in a battle right as I speak to you now. But we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Jesus calls us to put our life on the altar for him, to let him reign in us and you know we have an opportunity don't we in this lockdown period we're challenged in our you know in our horizontal relationships as it were in meeting with others but we're not challenged in our vertical relationship with god we have an opportunity to spend more time with him and to become closer to him and to become stronger in our faith and as we surrender more of our life to him he is able to give us our best life, that blueprint that he has for us, that plan that he has for us. He's able to come to the fore in our life. So let me end just with a little quote um, from Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith was the founder of Calvary Chapel and he was um, uh, behind uh, what's called the Jesus Movement, I think in, in the late 60s, early 70s. An amazing revival took place particularly among hippies. And uh, the most unlikely man, really, Chuck Smith, was the one who, who spearheaded that. And uh, he said he was inspired, his ministry was inspired by something he heard from a preacher, um, which was these words. The preacher said, you have one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen. Thank you for listening. Back to you.